You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Hello and welcome to Matt Meets the Music Industry. Today, I have a pretty re- remarkable uh, guest, someone who I didn't necessarily think I'd get to, I'd get to talk to, uh, Richard Summers of Crowdcat. How are you, Richard? Oh, not too bad today. A bit too much rain in the UK, but not too bad. I am very aware. <laughs> um, but yeah, so you have quite the journey. I want to kind of dive right into it. So what you've been doing with Crowdcat is like AI neuroscience powered um, marketing, right? Yeah, basically. Yes. It's using, um, I think it's about really getting inside of what consumers are looking for, particularly, I think we, we, we focus in entertainment. So it's not really consumers, it's fans. So what, what makes fans love the things that they do and how can we connect those fans with the object of their fandom, which, um, you know, in the case of Colorbox, which is at least half of what I do, there's another half in the film is true, but at least half of what I do, that's, uh, you know, music artists. So how do we get um, music artists to connect better to their fan bases? That's that's what we're driven by. Um, and we do that using, um, you know, digital campaigns. So it's very much, it is very much digital and marketing, but it's also this idea about, you know, using the understanding of the fans to, to connect better. And so what is the AI really informing you on doing? Like how much is it in control? Um, I think, I mean, that varies depending on uh, what your, you know, what kind of activity you're doing. So some, some of the time, um, I think a lot in the music industry, there's a, there's a lot of stuff in the background where you're using AI to learn stuff about fans. But when you're in the moment, um, there are particular uses of AI um, so, I mean, one simple example is if you're running a big listening party for, I don't know, uh, you know, big name like Taylor Swift, um, and there are, uh, you know, several hundred thousand fans in a room, then if you just let the, the chat feed kind of roll, run riot, then, um, you know, you really don't get to see anything because there's just too many messages from too many people. So what you need yeah. to do is to filter that view of the world down to what that person is interested in. Richard, they start engaging with different threads or topics. You start understanding what they're interested in. And so you can narrow down the noise of that chat room down to something a bit more meaningful for them to to engage with. And obviously, you know, anything the artist said is is, is going to be part of that experience. But it's more about other fans filtering out, you know, the noise that would be there if you just let, you know, 300,000 fans talk to each other. You know, it would just be crazy. Sure. And then how does that work on sort of the, the, the digital ad side? So, um, I mean, to, to be honest, although um, I'm sure, I mean, I know that uh, labels use the data to drive digital ad campaigns and um, 
from our understanding of fans, they can sort of determine the types of fans that they are, yeah. you know, put them into targetable uh, groups and then sort of invite them to new experiences. If I'm honest, what I focus on is, you know, maybe creating those segments, yes, and that could be used for advertising, but it's more that connection with the fan when they're there. Our platform is more about, okay, we provided more than 25 million hours of entertainment for fans. Like, that you know so, so they spend a lot of time with us my questions are more about not how do we advertise to that fan but more if they come to one of our listening parties how do we you know get them to be so engaged that they're going to spend 50 60 70 minutes with us listening to that music and then when they leave that listening party you know that, that because they've had that immersion because they've had certain um, connection to that artist they put it higher up in their playlists they play that more so you know they they enjoy that music more basically and of course they stream more music and of course that that money goes to the artist but um it's those are the kind of questions that drive me more than um how would we you know target that individual on facebook or something totally. that's, that's totally. not that, that that's kind of a a facebook problem rather than sure a problem. sure so what kind outside of listening parties, what kind of experiences are you really trying to provide people? So, I mean, you start with the, you know, the really kind of basic stuff like pre-saves where yeah. you know, you're just providing a service to allow people to say, hey, when this comes out, please put it in my playlist. So that's kind of simple stuff. Um, you can move up with the with, through, you know, competitions where, you know, it's either about swag or meeting the artist or signed, uh, you know, signed bits of swag. Um, these are all kind of little things, but the more interesting kinds of things are either the game studio. So that's where you try and yeah. take an aspect of um, what the artist is doing um, and uh, and match it to a game mechanic that's popular and people like playing. So um, <laughs> immediately I'm hit by the inappropriate things like, you know, the number of artists that like to build um, kind of uh, joints. So you, you ever played the snake game where yeah, you, know, you kind of go around picking up? So I've seen a few of those where, you know, an artist builds a, a joint by picking up little bits of cannabis and they've designed that on a game to communicate with their audience. But I mean, you have other things like the biggest game we made was um, for five seconds of summer. I had millions and millions of plays. I think it was the highest traffic campaign of 2015. And that was all based on this relationship that the fans had with the artist's hairstyles. And you could um, play about with the game and pick your character and match it to an artist's hairstyle, all this kind of stuff. Um, and from that, it, it all went viral. So games are a big part of, of what goes on and, and artists communicate all sorts of things through that. Or they oh. can use, you know, user-generated content. So building your own album covers, doing a bit of karaoke, um, I mean, there's so many ways in which you can take an artist's content and then add the user on top of that so that they have a unique piece of content they can share with others. So break this down for me, like with the game. Okay. So with five second to summer game. Yeah. How does this work? So five second to summer come to you and say, hi, we would like to do something. You clearly have something cool going on. 27, 50% are, um, ROI, yeah. right? So do you just like plug in a bunch of five second of summer data into a computer and see what it spits out? Is there a creative, <laughs> this, like, yeah, there is a creative process. I think, okay. So the first thing to really note about Cola box is what it's doing is freeing your hands from thinking, Oh my goodness. If I want to, 
do that thing. It's going to take weeks. It's going to take, sure. uh, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. Um, and, and really what I need to do is not just one thing. I need to do multiple things over time to create an effect. So um, if I, I mean, there's, there's a limit to what I can go inside of for a particular artist. But if I just sort of hypothetically went, you know, what, what might you do? You get a band like that. They um, have, you know, they're up and coming. They've got a relatively small social base. You want to take them, you know, that that year we're talking about, what would their objective have been of, yes, they had a big album launch and they wanted to build their social base, right? And those two things are quite aligned. Obviously, the more social they have, the more the album launch. Yeah. Now, to do that, you don't want to just do one campaign because let, let's say you've got a successful um, experience. What that will do is recruit more social audience, more engaged people into that funnel. So that if in, in a two or four weeks time, you do another campaign and it's successful, you get this kind of exponential growth, right? Yeah. And, and you know, that's really what you're looking for is to keep pulsing that audience and building it up and building it up and building it up. So you might say, look, we've got a big album launch, know, September. Let's step back five months from that. And let's think, you know, like when the time you do this, everyone knows in the music industry, you'll only roughly know that it's September, but, but you can work with that, right? So you go, right, let's step back. Let's design a series of campaigns. Maybe start with, um, you know, a competition around, you know, uh, meeting the band or have VIP tickets. Why do that? Because it will collect together kind of the tier one fans, activate them. They'll, yeah. And, and so now I've got, you know, I've got that. Then you might start going up that hill of sort of thinking about, right, what can I do with unlocks around their music, their current music? What could I drive with user-driven content? So you might create a campaign, you know, then, then you look at what the band's got, you look at the mechanics, you think about what you're trying to drive, and then you can build that on the platform. And then, you know, the peak of this, which is the game uh, in this case, but, you know, Today, there will be more things like pre-saves and listening parties that would go on because back then, um, sure. actually, we, that, you know, it wasn't streaming so much as downloads and, you know, all of these things were different. But, um, you, you know, a game like that, yes, you kind of think to yourself, what is, you know, you, you might look at some parameters about this audience, about the music, about previous games. So remember, we've launched thousands of these, like yeah. over a thousand games, over... 20,000 campaigns. So we've got a huge amount of real world data about what different types of bands will do. And then you look at that information and you look at what the band's got. But the last mile, if you like, is always creative. You've always got to say, right, okay, come on. We understand what people will do. These are two or three really good options. Here's the band. How can we like make that X factor happen? Like, you know, Hungry Five Stars definitely had X factor to it where suddenly the fans will just explode into a piece of activity. Um, and then, you know, if it's a game, you can really, like if it really succeeds, you get a huge uplift, um, particularly if you put Easter eggs in it, then you yeah. get all the sharing and, and you get this big storm kind of come off it. But so there's a lot of data that you can use. There's a lot of really well worked out and tested strategies, but they'll always be that. Um, bit of creative at the end where you're saying you know what this band you know they've got a story to tell they've got a, a style of their yeah. own they've got a relationship with the audience you can't just ignore all of that because you've got an algorithm in the corner but the algorithm lets you it's ironic I think for all that people would think that the data and the algorithm will take over what it actually allows you to do is to follow what the band needs and what the fans need um, and that's what all that tech is about 
yeah. um, rather than just sort of saying, hey, um, you know, the computer says you should do this. I, that's that's kind of never the way it works. No, that makes sense. And so, you know, you said 20,000 campaigns. You know, you haven't been around that long. Um, how do you yeah. achieve, you know, how do you achieve that level of scale? So, I mean, a, a lot of what we're doing as, as a business is providing the data, the playbooks, the technology, yeah. right? And then, um, you know, people are using that information and those capabilities to deliver that last mile of creative and publishing. Yeah. So, um, you know, if you like, you know, in, in the early days we did, you know, we did deliver campaigns and we could, you know, as an organization, we could deliver maybe 200, 300 campaigns a year, but you, you know, and let's say we've been going roughly five years. It's a little bit longer, but you've got a, you know, kind yeah. of starting tale for that. Then obviously we would not be, you know, where we are today, where we're, you know, our, our target now, and we're looking to ring the bell the first month we do um, over 1500 campaigns in a month. Right. So everything's accelerating for us. Yeah. Um, now, the reason that can happen is that it's a truly scalable enterprise system that we're using. So, you know, there are in, internal agencies or internal people inside of labels that are using these uh, this kit to, yeah. to create this activity. Um, you know, obviously we had an, ex, uh, you know, for, for quite a while, we had an exclusive agreement with, within Universal Music and within there, there's a team called Lemonade and Lemonade has, you know, they, they literally are like a, you know, they, they sit at the middle of this hub and manufacture a ton of campaigns, but they also go out and train people in Japan and Australia and all over the place yeah. to produce stuff, you know, how to use this data, how to think about campaigns, um, you know, how to publish things on this system, et cetera. And that's, that's exactly how, how we've got to that number. And as I said, accelerating. I mean, we're hoping to double the number of campaigns that we've done in our lifetime this year. That would be a kind of, a goal it's a bit of a stretch but it's not much of a stretch we know we're on on track you know well over ten thousand for this year so yeah it's, it's it's definitely accelerating it's always crazy when that starts to happen to a company and you're like oh yeah. this is an option now yes it is i mean i think i i looked at it and I, it's funny i've been doing quite a bit of training people recently in this this tool and my job is not hands-on anymore yeah but it's just to try and bring across you know uh you know what's this about what can you do and and, and i sort of sat down i hadn't sort of sat down and thought about the music industry thought about the artists thought about what the demand was for this kind of engagement from artists and i was staggered i reckon you know that that actually will only reach sort of, if you like, satisfaction or saturation maybe I, for, for the fan when the music industry is producing about a quarter of a million campaigns a year. That's yeah. when it will kind of reach that apex. And you go, well, what are we at today? Probably if you take Colorbox out, which is actually pumping out <laughs> probably more campaigns than anything else in, in, in the space, right? I don't know what our percentages of campaigns, maybe we're, we're actually doing 80% of campaigns already. But um, because of just the sheer volume that we allow people to do. But I reckon the industry, you know, typical approach, you can only approach kind of 1% of that. And the net result of that is it's really, you know, only the top artists that get any kind of coverage from these, from this, with this ability to use these kind of cool ways to, to communicate with their fans, whether that is, you know, listening parties or uh, games or just fun bits of user generated content. 
um, it's they're stuck, you know, because they don't have those. You, because if you if you do it the normal way, it's so expensive, and so yeah. there's just no way they can do that, which is which is such a shame. Yeah. Do you see this? The way I see it, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but the way I see it at present, it's still pretty tied into a larger label structure, right? The majority of your clients. Um, I mean, that it's certainly true. I mean, some of that's historic. So sure. It, it, sure. Exclusively with universal you know, music. I think what we're doing is we have a plan moving forward to uh, allow that to, if you like, to democratize that more and more. Well, that's what I was going to ask is like, how does that become more available? What does that look like? I mean, I think, I mean, what we want to achieve is, uh, in the end, is the ability for anybody, either any music artist to turn up. Now I say turn up, that could be their band management, it could be their label, which could be a small independent label, um, and to be able to make use of the system for, a, a, you know, in a really economic way, so that they have access to the same sort of capabilities um, that the major artists do. Now, um, you know, a lot of the cost of this is just the sheer scale of your fan base. So, yeah, yeah. On a, you know, a listening party with several hundred thousand people, just the server cost of that is it's, sure. not, it's not huge. Like if I said it to a music label, I'd be like, well, you know, they'd be like, well, that's nothing for, for Justin Bieber or something. But um, if if you, you, that kind of stuff kind of scales down. And I think the other aspects, you know, we're looking at really interesting things like, you know, can we do um, AI based design? Um, yeah. why would we want to do that well because if you're if you don't have a designer on tap and you just want to produce a campaign then um yeah you you, you know you, what, what can you do and i suppose the answer to that is if you have a button where you can upload your album art or some some collection of photography and design that you've already um put together and it then produces a beautiful i don't know pac-man game then that's so empowering for another tier of artists so that's something that we're looking at then um, that would be empowering, whether it's a major label or an in, a small independent or a band management team, because what it does is it says, hey, we can now afford to support an artist at a, at a lower tier of development, which is, what we, you know, that's one of the things we want to achieve. I mean, other things, you know, I, I'm afraid much more boring, like how do you, you know, we have to create almost like a consumer facing site where you can just you know, sign up or just just pay, you know, 20 bucks on your your, your credit card to put a campaign sure. line. Um, and of course, we don't operate quite like that. We usually, you know, we're, we're set up like any normal kind of larger business to business would be where you, know, you, you invoice people at the end of the month and, you know, all of that kind of yeah, stuff. Of course. So it's not quite as accessible, but we've certainly got that. Um, we've got that ambition to democratize it further and further and further. Um, I mean, that said, we have, you know, several thousand artists on platform so it's not it's not yeah. like it's just the top no of course of course of course top niche it's it's a few thousand now but i mean we're talking about how do we get get that to be tens of thousands of artists that yeah and that's sort of the you know i look at what a platform it's not it's obviously not totally analogous but i look at like what a platform like tone den has been able to do in terms of like shifting from like just something a few labels use to something that's pretty ubiquitous in like three years yeah and it's sort of interesting to see a trajectory like that for an AI driven platform. Yeah. And I think, um, I mean, what we do, I mean, the, the barriers of will be that, you know, some products have a very, very simple thing that they're trying to achieve, uh, you know, with a bit of data. So, you know, 
I mean, if, if we were talk about um, publishing ads on Facebook, actually underneath that is a very simple mechanic of where you put totally. the ad and a very simple ad. We've got to give you a whole array of, of really cool campaigns that you can quickly skin up and distribute. It's a little bit more complicated. But having said that, you know, we've gone on, you know, in, in the last year, we've gone on a big journey of, you know, how much simpler that is. Um, yeah. For people to do so we have a you know we have a, a really cool power editing system as we call it where people who are technically you're not developers but they're they're kind of tech savvy digital people they're used to digital systems you know they're they they could be digital artists but not you know digital designers no I, don't, I don't mean developers but it's where they can drag and drop everything and customize everything and that's really cool um but you know, that takes a bit of time and it takes quite a lot of skill to know exactly what you're doing. And the new systems that have been out there for six, six to 12 months now um, are all wizard based. So you just literally say, look, I want to do this thing and you can produce a basic. When I say basic, it's like the best practice version of that thing. Lots of options to customize yeah. it. But it's, you know, the, 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 the example of that, maybe it's a pre-save, maybe it's a, you know, a Pac-Man game, maybe it's a listening party. And literally, um, I've seen on, on calls, we, we are a kind of most proficient publisher, uh, Kirsty. She can produce, literally produce a fully fledged game in, in like three minutes on the platform. And it's crazy to watch this thing just sort of fly together and get published. Um, and it, yeah, it's, it's crazy when you get to that stage. But I think that, that we're already, you know, that's a big step on that journey. And then we just need to sort of sort out some of the, the later things that will open it up more and more and more. But I think any uh, kind of reasonable sized independent label would easily be able to use it. It's just, you know, totally. it's about that last mile down to kind of band managers and, and really much smaller artists and trying to open up as much as possible to make it ubiquitous. What aspect of collab box and AI in marketing in general do you think is the most underestimated? Um, I... <sighs> There's a real, like, when people look at how artists make money, <laughs> literally, uh, digital as a whole, like all of the social digital aspects are dramatically underestimated. I think everyone's kind of, ex you know, accepted that um, fan bases are, you know, ha having a big following on Instagram, etc. It's kind of important. and but But the artists kind of handle that. When you get to the sort of label level and, and people are thinking about, right, how do I promote an artist or, or, or work with an artist too much of the thinking is still um big spikes as i call it so you know it's like oh i got them on this show somewhere i flew them across the atlantic and i got them on this show and look we can see when they were on television that we got this spike in streaming look at what we did and then when you actually take those numbers apart you go the spike in streaming is just this tiny like it looks impressive because it it achieves this kind of you know, maybe their streaming goes up by 100%, but it goes up 100% for like half an hour. And then you think, well, what's it doing the rest of the time, right? And that's much more important. And the role that um, an Ecola box plays, for instance, is it's not, you know, when, whenever, when an album or a, tra a track is launched or there's a big, you know, uh, some other kind of big statement release from an artist, but it's usually tracks, you'll get, uh, you know, you'll always get a spike up yeah. from the artist, right? And a lot of the time, some of that is to do with just they've got a new track. Some of it's to do with the kind of just pumping a few things out onto social. And some of that has got to do with, you know, TV appearances, radio appearances, et cetera, talking about the track. So you get, you get this driving force upwards. 
But what actually, where most of the money is in is, is two bits. One is if you can slow down the descent afterwards, right? If you can make this descent, uh, you know, last twice as long and you can just elevate the baseline. So what I mean by that is, you know, say an artist has a thousand streams before the launch of this track, right? Across their portfolio of, um, of, of tracks. And, you know, they do a launch and it goes up to 5,000 for, for, for like a day. And then, you know, it comes back down and it settles to 1100. Yeah. And, and then it sort of carries on for months. That's what I would call the baseline. So if you can make it not come down within a month, but come down within four, four months, which is essentially, you know, one of the tricks that we do. And the baseline is now not 1100, it's 1300. It doesn't look as dramatic. But actually, the amount of money that's made in the long tail and the lift oh, totally. baseline is so much more. So the yeah. underestimation that I see, the biggest one, is the impact value of, of working with fan bases like this. And Colorbox is obviously a tool across thousands of, things, thousands of campaigns, and we can actually measure this so well. And we've got studies on, on how much you know, we uplift stuff. But if you just think in general about if you work with your fan base, you know, how much is that? you know, how, how much is that driving? And I'd say, you know, it's, it's the majority of what an artist is making is driven in those baselines and, and how you control those tails. Um, and it's crazy. I mean, we have a static cola box, which is like, you know, every, every fan that enters cola box, we can see that over the next six months, the artist will make an average of $4 more per, per person entered that session. Now that's in streaming. And if you translate that into, well, there's different ways of looking at values of streams, but you're talking about so many streams that get generated over that long tail. Yeah. That one interaction. Um, whereas when you look at the same process around TV, and we've done that as well, what you don't get that long tail, you get a, you know, sharp spike and a very, very little, you know, addition to that tail. And it's, and that means that, you know, the kind of old school marketing thinking around, you know, broadcast and publicity is overweighted compared to the uh, consistent uh, connection with fan bases and building of activity in those fan bases. Yeah, that, that makes complete sense. You know, um, I think that. I think that people don't necessarily understand the extent to which AI can kind of facilitate constant content creation. Mm. If that makes, is that correct? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's, it's, you know, there are lots of tools. AI is part of that package, but there sure. are lots of tools to do that. And I think that's right. You know, what people need, what fans need is a constant connection to that artist and they want it to be you know the, where cola box changes is you know that constant connection no question people are doing it with instagram feeds and you know all the rest of it but there's a passive it's actually quite passive you look at something yeah. and you comment on it what cola box adds is this active bit um yeah and the way we put it is it brings you inside the tent with the artist it's like how close can we get you to the artist and we're obsessed with that idea of you know we know that what do fans ultimately want they just want to be close to that that person that they have if you like a love affair with right how do we do that how do we make them feel more and more actively connected to that so they're getting just more and more joy out of that relationship right um and that's what you you know ai if you like or, or clever algorithms and clever interactions and however you want to frame this that's the stuff that allows you to bring those fans inside the tent and once you've got them inside the tent 
you know, obviously it works for them because they're really loving what's going on. And it works for the artist because they're now advocating for the artist. And, you know, a lot of the streams that Colorbox generates are from people that have never been to Colorbox. They're from people that are affected by all the chatter and noise that comes out of Colorbox, right? It's about about two thirds of what we drive is from people that don't visit us. I mean, it's crazy, right? Sure. Um, but, um, you know, the, the, that's the thing is now the artist has got all the advocacy and of course they're driving direct streaming behaviors in, in those top tier fans, which for them is really advantageous. And I'm sure it drives all sorts of things that we haven't measured. Like at the moment, it seems a bit crass to start talking about live events because obviously that's, that's not, not, uh, not there. But I'm sure, you know, all of these are the fans that go to those live events and the more we recruit them, you know, for an artist, that's very significant, these fan bases that we're dealing with. Yeah. How do you track someone if they haven't interacted with like a cola box thing? So there's, there, that's a really kind of, uh, you know, there, there are kind of complex questions around that. So firstly, you can yeah. say, right, how do you track people that directly have? And there's whole, you know, areas about, you know, if you're on the platform and, you know, we, we, we uh, you know, we do pre-saves and we look at your listening behaviors and the samples where you look yeah. at listening behaviors and, and, and after listening parties, et cetera. So you start to understand how much uplift happens and when it happens from that group. And then you can um, anonymously, so there's lots of, uh, for instance, academic databases you can use. You can go out to and anonymously look at what the chatter levels are inside and engagement levels are with various posts. So sure. you can't see who people are, but because you're tracking unique URLs, you can kind of go, right, how many people have seen this? How many people like this? Yeah. How many people have... So you can get those kind of stats together. And then the third element, you know, is... And sometimes you can track those individuals back into your platform and see that, you know... So, yeah. so they haven't visited on that occasion, but they visited back, and so that's another group. But ultimately, you get to the point where you say, okay, if I've got, you know, 20,000 campaigns that I've run for thousands of artists... And I look at these artists and we look before Colorbox activity starts and we match those artists out. This is something AI is good at, is you match artists out to artists that look like them, that are similar to them. Um, so you then have several thousand artists that are not Colorbox artists, right? And you just track all of those thousands of artists over time. What you discover is that the Colorbox ones are doing better than the non-Colorbox ones. And then you can compare sure. the average curves, like when they did a release, what happened? Okay, what are the comparisons? And so you start seeing what the impact of those Colorbox campaigns are. Of course, you know how actively they were pursued, how many conversions there were, what the audience for those campaigns did afterwards. And so you can build up this really ac accurate model of what people that never visited you must have contributed to that success which, you know, and you can see on social the number of people that have engaged with your message. So you kind of, there's always a bit where if they haven't come close to you, you're putting two things together at a distance, sure. but it still shows you that kind of, okay, there's an impact here that's measurable and there's a, uh, an engagement here that's measurable. And the only thing that really makes sense is that, you know, the people that you can't measure, but they're now increasingly streamed must be the people that you impacted with the, with the message, if you like. Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. Um, just as we head towards the end, because I don't want to take too much of your time. Um, you know, we've talked about the democratization of Cola Box, and we've talked about some other elements that you're working on. But what is the thing you're most excited about in the next six months to a year that you're building with this? I think... Um... 
it's the the most exciting there are so many kind of cool things going on um i think we're we're working on on now a much more sophisticated so so there's in the pipeline i was like oh i just did a next two slide and <laughs> And the only confusing thing was the eight things that we were doing next. And I'm like, I've got to pick one. But I think it's about this new listening party format that, that we're working on. Um, it's actually, you know, the first use of the technology will be in the film industry and it'll be launched in July into the film industry. And it's not a listening party there. It's a, uh, it'll be used for things like trailer drops. So dropping, you know, the new trailers yeah. for big movies. Um, similar kind of idea. But instead of a listening party just being a chat room and a streaming provider, this brings all of the tools into like a live event so that you can engage with the audience. Um, we, we've got a lot of stuff around social gaming that are, that's coming into this. So not just, um, you know, one person playing a game, but working with their friends to, to play on an artist's game or to take part in an artist's quiz, winning some swag or being dropped into a video conference with that artist unique content drops, you know, there's there's all sorts of different activities you can now thread into these events. Why are we doing this? We're doing this because we've worked out that once you can, you know, you create these events, they're about 10 times more sticky than the current ones. I mean, we've done some sure. initial testing. Um, and what that also does is it the regularity, if you can get, if we can get these events to be regular pub, regularly published by artists, we can see these audiences building and you get these huge pulses on social that gives them such an advantage in, in kind of gaining traction on a fan base. So I think, yeah, the probably the thing I'm most excited about are these new listening party formats that I'll be honest, they're probably, you know, three or four months off for the music industry, but I think they'll be transformative in terms of um, I, the way I look at them is currently live events on digital are not really digital live events. What they are are live events and you stuck a camera in the, uh, the front of them and then you stream them across the internet. That's not really live. This is actually ground up. What does it take to make somebody feel like they're part of a live audience? How do they feel connected to everyone around them? You know, obviously it's not the same experience of being at a gig and just, you know, rocking out yeah. to, your, to your favorite band, but how can we produce you know, something that genuinely is a digital analog of a live event. And that's not to try and get rid of live events. They're going to come back and they're going to be great and it's fantastic. But we all know that we can't all go to live events as much as we'd like to. And so this is a kind of alternative that you can visit much more regularly. Um, and I think it will be transformative for the, for the fan base and for the, for the artists. Excellent. Thank you so much, Richard. Welcome. Thank you for the chat. It's been really great. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street.